Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Hello, and welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. Today, we are talking about how farmers can leverage crop insurance for marketing their crop. Combining insurance and grain marketing allows us to extract even more value out of your crop insurance policy and eliminate as much risk as possible. At the end of the episode, we're also going to touch on margin protection, give you a quick update on that and the role that margin protection can also play in managing risk. I have two very special guests today. One is familiar to everybody, Ken Ripley. He's a fellow regional sales manager and recurring guest. And then I also have Jake Moline. Jake's been on the podcast before and maybe even seen him present with FMH prior to this at our uh, National Agent Summit. But Jake is a risk management consultant with StoneX. And uh, Ken, I'm going to throw it to you first. Give us a little hello and maybe uh, how crops are looking in your area and what you've heard in other areas of, as well. Yeah. Um, welcome, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, again. Yeah, Ken Ripley. I'm from uh, live in southern Minnesota. And unfortunately, like a lot of areas in the region I cover, which is the northwest part of the U.S., um, we've had uh, too much heat with not enough rain. So like in our personal farm here, we've really gone backwards in the last five days, just too many days above 90 with very, very little rain since the last 100 degree spurt we had come through. So uh, talking to some other growers in the area, guys are did some hand checks and we're seeing 106 day corn down to 20% moisture, which is not a good sign for our area at, at the 5th of September when that was checked. So unfortunately, I think the crop that could have been a monster in our area is going backwards in a hurry. And that's pretty consistent through a lot of Minnesota. Now, some of the northern part of the state got some rains. Um, some of the Dakotas have gotten some rains and seen some decent wheat crops and things. But Overall, uh, corn and beans, for the most part, are trending backwards in the Dakotas and Minnesota area. Yes, and I actually am lucky enough to get a daily newsletter, or mostly daily newsletter, from Jake. Uh, He gives a a lot of great information out there, including just crop conditions in the Midwest. So I saw earlier today crop conditions across most of the Corn Belt a little less than average, except in the far eastern corn belt then they're doing quite well over in Indiana and Ohio. So but with that Jake I'll I'll give you a chance to uh maybe give us what you expect will move the market over the next several weeks um as we're thinking about getting into harvest here. Yeah, uh so overnight we saw some strength in grains. Uh we are speaking this morning it's uh, September 6th and uh seems like we're over the hump in terms of heat here finally uh, have a high in the low 80s in Iowa, which it seems like it's been a very long time since we've had moderate temperatures. Um, and I would echo, you know, Ken's comments about the crop heading backwards here lately. We saw crop conditions decline 3% on corn uh, yesterday afternoon in the delayed crop progress report. Uh, soybeans fell 5%. That's the largest weekly drop we've seen since 2012. And we began the year and we were kind of talking about this before the podcast began, but uh, it seemed like early on in the year, uh, crop ratings were probably lagging how good the crop actually was. 
we saw rapid improvement of ratings. Um, corn went from 50% good to excellent at its lowest point in late June, all the way up to, I think, 59% uh, good to excellent by mid-August. And we've retreated about 7% uh, since then. So it's uh, the crop is definitely heading backwards. And there's a big difference between maturing early, which if you look at corn denting, corn maturity, we are ahead of average uh, in, in that and soybeans uh, dropping leaves, but not as much as you would expect. And it feels like the crop rather than maturing early is dying early. And we have seen similar things, Ken, down here in Iowa, uh, corn testing about 20% moisture at this point in time is not good. We've actually seen a little bit of early harvesting action in central Iowa, just around where I live. Uh, I think this is going to be a year where a lot of farmers are forced to harvest soybeans uh, because of moisture before leaves have dropped or before maybe even the, the crop isn't, isn't green anymore. So it's going to be a tedious harvest for a, a lot of farmers out there. Um, I do, I would say if you asked me this a month ago, my expectations on yield probably would have been near where USDA was or maybe even higher. Uh, but in the last few weeks here, uh, it seems like our expectations around yield and the industry have dropped quite a bit. The, the main thing we're looking ahead towards in terms of, uh, you know, the major market mover on the horizon is next Tuesday, we will receive an updated WASD report from the USDA. Uh, haven't seen any average trade estimates published for that report yet, but I would expect to see yield numbers uh, expected to be a little bit lower. The, the wild card there, though, is that some of that drop in production or potential drop in production could be offset by increases to acreage. Uh, it is typical in a normal year that we lose acreage between June, July, and, and final. Uh, but this is a year where FSA registrations have exceeded the pace, the normal pace, uh, and, and we could be looking at potentially an additional million corn acres and a half a million bean acres added into the balance sheet. So that could pad some of the production drop. And then you always have to think about the, the demand side of the equation as well. The USDA has already cut new crop demand pretty significantly uh, throughout the previous three months. Uh, I would expect that if we did see a drop to production, we'd see them hit new crop export demand again because both corn and soybean exports for new crop, or now that we're in you know, the actual marketing era, I guess we can just say uh, export estimates uh, are going to be the first thing to drop. So. Although I think the industry is expecting lower yields, some of that could be offset by increased acres or decreases to new crop exports. And the end effect on carryout could be somewhat cushioned by that and you know price reaction as well. So that's the main driver right now. It's still, we're still in a supply weather-driven market. Although, you know, demand's always on the back end here. A lot of crazy stuff going on in the rest of the world, obviously still have the Ukrainian situation going on. Um, still have pretty good crop coming out of South America, the second crop uh, down in Brazil. They just raised, Conab just raised the estimates this morning. So it, it's going to boil down to exports in the end. I think um, Mississippi river levels are, are already trending lower here. So we could be headed into another tricky fall where, you know, it's critical that we get stuff moved out of the Mississippi River when we are the cheapest source uh, for the world. But uh, that that's kind of my opinion. I'm generally not, I would say, would not paint myself as a, a 
consistent bullish analyst, uh, but I am getting a little bit friendly to this crop. And I think it could be a while until we actually realize it. You know, it, it could be January before we actually know what we're dealing with here when we get the stocks report then. So, yeah, no, that's uh, great information and obviously still a lot of moving parts, but um, a good summary on where we stand in the market today. Um, thinking about that in terms of crop insurance right now, today, as we stand, we're at, um, I didn't see exactly what we were this morning, but about 488, 490 on corn. Um, beans were in the, I don't know, 1378. Well, 1378 was our crop insurance price. So we're right on the money in terms of beans. Corn, we are down mm, 16, 17 cents or 16, 17 percent, excuse me, um, from where we began the year. So uh, at least uh, as of today, and things can change quickly, uh, we're looking at a, a fairly sizable revenue drop on corn. Beans, it's probably going to take a yield loss in order to get a, a crop insurance payment for 2023. So um, that said, we we are here today really to talk about using crop insurance with grain marketing. So there's all of these variables that Jake just mentioned. And all of them provide, you know, opportunities, but some of them also provide risks or uh, they, they cause risk on the, on the farm in terms of price. So what are ways in which we can use crop insurance to help our own marketing plan to kind of uh, solidify our own position amongst all this risk? And so I just wanted to have a conversation with Ken and Jake because we talk about this a lot. Um, but Ken in particular is going to be interesting to hear from because I don't always feel like farmers do take advantage of, of marketing off of their crop insurance policy. And so we just wanted to go through and kind of lay out at least one way to look at this and then maybe just discuss why farmers would or would not, uh, want to take advantage of this. So first things first. Any type of federal crop insurance policy that you're buying has a unique feature that no financial tool can offer, and that is it protects yield. No financial tools can protect yield. And with that, whether it's a, a YP or a yield policy or a revenue protection policy, your policy is going to give you a guaranteed production number. That's based off of what your, your average history was, the level that you've chosen, uh, but essentially, you're getting a guarantee of bushels. And with that, um, when you sign the insurance app, then, at least mentally, I think it's healthy to think about your production already being in the bin. It's already been harvested. You have that grain. And so sometimes I feel I can, can jump in here. When you have grain in the bin, it's a little bit more top of mind. You're you're actively marketing it versus when it's in the in the field yet, it's hard to it's hard to sell something you haven't gotten your hands on yet. Right, right. Yeah. And one of the things and that I like to do, I keep a, a record tracking the grain that I have in the bin, but as I'm on there also I've got like my twenty-four on there already, kind of my estimated yield um based on you know my guarantees working off of this year's number. So I've got a number that I know I can work with. So when I start making sales into forward years, I've got, hey, how many, let's say, for example, got 80,000 bushels, just throwing a number out here of corn for 24, you know, what percentage would, would a, you know, 
a 5% sale B. So it's easy to have something out there to keep to, since we don't have the physical crop in hand, it's a little bit easier when you see a number on a spreadsheet, like sort of how I do it to have that number in head in, in mind. And I, as one of our, my co uh, counterparts on the, uh, here in Minnesota, she always says that, Hey, uh, a good sale in 23 is a great sale in 24 because the market's always moving together. So you like it in 23, you're going to like it in 24. And that same mentality would, would, would hold true any year. If it's a, a sale at one year is going to be good in the next four years as well. Right. And so on that, Ken, you said you, you are already projecting out production for 2024, a crop you haven't even put in the ground yet. So how are you coming up with a number to represent your expected production that you feel like you can safely market? Yeah, so I, to, I mean, I expect hopefully this year I don't go backwards on my APH, but normally I'm just going to take what my normal APH is. I'm definitely a rotational farmer, so I know exactly, unless I lose ground, I know exactly how many acres of corn at a half for 24. I just take that APH traditionally buying an 80 or an 85% policy until I've made that decision. I usually base it off of an 80% policy to come up with how many bushels that'll be. And then I'll plug that in that spreadsheet until I've got that finalized next spring with my, my final crop insurance decision. But at least I've got a ballpark number on that. So I know what my minimum starting point is probably for a bushel guarantee that I'd have with my RP policy. Awesome. And you would feel comfortable coming up with that number because essentially those bushels are guaranteed to you. You're still responsible right. for marketing them yourself, but right. if for some reason you, you would fall short of that number, you have the crop insurance backstop there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, uh, I think the best thing that, uh, other advice that even like, uh, my dad has shared over the years is, you know, it's always better to make a sale that's a profitable sale than wish you made a sale when the market has turned the other direction. So, and I, and I'm not going to say I'm perfect that because I can look at this year's marketing and say, boy, I missed a few opportunities, especially back in June when we had that nice run up. I sold, but I wasn't as aggressive as I should have been because I got greedy because I thought for sure that Monday morning when the markets were up huge, they were going to be up huge the rest of the week. And well, they weren't. So it's uh, it's easy to say, hard to put into practice. Um, that's probably the biggest downfall for every farmer, and I'm no different, to take the emotion out of grain sales. You've got the guarantees there to protect you. Take advantage of the price while you've got them. Fair enough. And I don't know that we're going to be able to play psychologist here very well today. I don't think we're very well equipped for that. But I think at the very least, we can point out um, how the crop insurance policy should at least give you the confidence to make those sales, even if you're unsure if that's the right price and right time, because uh, you're probably never going to get that 100% right anyway, that you can feel good about making that sale uh, because we have the crop insurance backstop. And so the second unique feature of the crop insurance policy, and this is specific to revenue protection, is that it protects price movements both up and down. And what that means is that if we if we have a, a say a 2012 type of year and we've lost a significant amount of production across the U.S., uh, we're still going to be able to capture that higher price in the fall off those lost bushels. And vice versa, if we have a 2014 or maybe a 2023, what we're looking at here on corn right now, 
if we're losing revenue off of those guaranteed bushels, that also is possibly replaced through your crop insurance policy, depending on your level, et cetera. So both of those things help us out with price movements. But as we're going to get to, we're still responsible for marketing those bushels. And we're only going to get that liability that's listed in the policy if we've lost those bushels. So we do have this guarantee of yield. We can feel good about making sales because if we don't have those bushels, our crop insurance policy is there to help us out. But throughout the year, what kind of tools could a farmer use, Jake, to help start making sales and locking in um, revenue for the crop year? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of different options farmers have to market their grain or what, what I would say, hedge their price risk. Um, they can have a brokerage account and manage that risk by selling futures or buying puts or doing a combination of you know futures and options. They can make forward sales to a grain buyer. Um, there's a lot of different you know contracts out there that grain buyers offer today uh, that embed sometimes optionality into grain contracts. Um, but I you know we we did this presentation Ryan in Kansas City I believe it was last winter. Uh, we ended up missing the mark on our matrix reference. I think uh, <laughs> most of the audience had not seen that movie when we came in in trench coats and sunglasses, but um, Either way, uh, th these three kind of truths, as we put them in the presentation, you'd be surprised how many farmers um, struggle to remember these truths uh, when it comes to marketing grain. And Ken, you pointed out that you know we had a great opportunity in June this last year to market uh, corn well above the crop insurance average. Did not last very long, obviously, that opportunity. And that's often the case. Um, I would, you know, echo Ken's comments that, you know, he, he got greedy and, and uncomfortable in, in making sales during that time period. And so did 99% of the farmers out there. And it's usually when you're most uncomfortable about making sales that you should be most aggressive in making forward sales. And, you know, Ryan, you made a joke about being a psychologist, but really there's, there's two competing emotions here. It's fear and greed and, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, to quote my dad, People suck when it comes to money. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, you, you need to keep the pedal down and can you continue to make more aggressive sales when we're above those spring crop insurance prices? You know, we're going to have revenue guarantees this year that, you know, in, in a lot of cases, guaranteed farmers, you know, break even type numbers in terms of profitability per acre, maybe a little better. Um, but next year, you know, there's no guarantee that's going to be the case. You look at, these 24 corn today, it's at 512, right? We are expecting cost of production to be lower than this previous year due to declining fertilizer prices and a lot of different inputs coming down a bit. But if you look at, you know, an average farmer who has an APH of 200 bushels per acre, they buy an 85% revenue protection policy. Let's say their cost of production this past year was getting close to a thousand bucks an acre. Let's say it's hundred bucks lower. That 512 number is exactly their revenue guarantee if you purchase 85% revenue protection today. There is no guarantee these 24 corn is gonna be at 512 in February. And that is the real risk that these farmers face heading into the next crop year. This year, you know, no matter how poor of a marketer you were uh, in terms of forward marketing, you're gonna be somewhat insulated from pain. Uh, it's the bottom line, unless you hold onto the crop well past October, 
in which case obviously your your uh, protection goes away um but it's it's the next year that could be the the painful one and there's you'll get into this later on with different ways you can protect that risk but you know one of the simple ones without doing crop insurance policies in general is to start forward marketing some new crop 24 and there's danger in getting too aggressive too early um but you'd be surprised you know you look at profitability matrices if you just had 10 15 20% of your expected new crop 24 production either forward sold hedged protected with some type of option uh and then you plug in a you know $4.20 average in february how much better that looks than having nothing on the books um so i know it's really early and we're not probably at the price levels we would like to see for new crop 24 to start making some of those sales but it is good risk management policy to to start this early no, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's so easy for me to say I've never farmed. I've never had to sell a bushel of grain myself, but we do from outside looking in. Sometimes it feels like, wow, it just seems like we keep missing opportunities. Um, so let's keep going down this road though, of using crop insurance and grain marketing together, because I think we can come up with some, some fairly high level tips here that will maybe make this a little easier. So first things first, we want to think of our insurance liability, which we will get that liability. We really can calculate it almost today for 24 already. If we know approximately what our APH is, um, we can look at it in terms of what our current 2024 price is. But fast forward to say February, we'll have that price locked in. Once we know our liability, which is just simply that price times the level times our APH, that is the that is the number that I as a as an outsider looking in would challenge farmers to beat. That is your revenue. Your liability is your revenue. That is the number you want to beat. And so um at the beginning of the year when you're looking at your liabilities, you want to feel like your liability or AKA your revenue is above your input costs. So if you have the opportunity to buy enough revenue to cover your input costs, number one, that's going to be your best start right there. But after that, that liability is a kind of a fake number. Okay. We want to beat that with our, uh, we want to beat the input costs we have with our liability. But once we've gone past say February, that liability is a fake number until we make sales. And so I ask farmers to try to beat that number. And what I mean by that is every time you make a sale that is better than that spring insurance price, you are increasing your revenues. You're increasing your liability. So you can improve your reliability or your revenue every sale or every position that you take above the spring insurance price. And so that is maybe one of the main principles we can get across here today. Uh, Jake and I have looked at a lot of, he mentioned profit matrices. That's the reference for the matrix, by the way. Profit matrix uh, matrices that uh, will show that it's simply, like he said, if you just make a 5% of your bushels sold at, say, 20 or 30 cents better than the spring price, it improves your outcomes tremendously. And so as a farmer, I think it's, it's good to think of that number, that liability number as something we can try to beat. 
Because if we can beat that number, we're going to be better. We're going to be better off than most. And in wow. in a lot of years, you know, farmers do a decent job of of making forward sales throughout the summer. But coming off of the past two or three years that we have, where we had the counter seasonal rallies into harvest, and that FOMO kicks in, that you know, fear of missing out, uh, watching your neighbor deliver bushels in the fall at a much higher price than you did when he was not proactive, he or she was not proactive, uh, and and you were, is a tough pill to swallow, right? You're not going to hit the grand slam home run forward marketing grain a lot of times, right? But you are going to consistently hit singles, doubles, and sometimes triples. And it's going to protect you in the long run, smoothing that out. And, you know, crop insurance, revenue protection specifically is the foundation for any crop marketing plan. If you do not understand how your, your revenue protection policy works and how hedging, whether it be through financial instruments or, or physical sales, works in tandem with that, then you need to do some studying because that is, in my opinion, the most crucial thing to understand as a, as a grain farmer is how your hedging plan combined with crop insurance protects you. And there's a lot of, I would say, fear from farmers out there that, you know, how could I sell something that I don't have in the bin or, you know, what if my APH is 200 and I only grow 150 bushels per acre and I can't deliver those bushels that I've forward sold? Well, that's where crop insurance kicks in, guys. You have guaranteed bushels to you. That indemnity payment covers the price difference uh, if we are higher. And if we are lower, you will find a neighbor to deliver on your behalf uh, on that contract and incentivize that neighbor to deliver those bushels so that you come out pretty much whole there as well. So as long as you're not marketing over your guaranteed bushel level, you really can't get hurt. Um, but it's amazing to me that, you know, I do a lot of farmer meetings. I know you guys do as well. You speak to a lot of farmers that fear of selling something you don't have and then not having it is a huge factor that limits forward selling. And we're stuck in a year right now off of those two or three years that we just came off of. And everybody's back into the bad habits. They're, they're not forward marketing grain. If I looked at my commercial customer base, so I work mainly with grain elevators, co-ops across state Iowa, uh, I would say of the normal handle that our elevators have in the fall, about 15% is forward sold at the moment. The farmer is hugely exposed heading into this fall on price. And I realize we don't want to be making sales near you know recent contract lows in corn at the moment, but you better be ready for the next opportunity when it comes. Um, and in my opinion, start to protect next year too. And that, that actually transitions well, Jake, and I'm going to kick it to you here in a second, Ken, but that transitioned well to, to maybe one other point to make here is that your, your insurance policy has all these great features. We get this guarantee of bushels. We get a, a spring and fall price. We get the better of the two, but if we lose price, we're still going to get indemnified on that. We're obviously still taking a deductible, but once we get past October, what kind of protections do we have? We, we don't have any. And so, Ken, uh, I imagine you're going to be placing some corn in the bin this fall. I'm not putting you on the spot here, but how do you look at it when you're, when you're going to be putting grain in the bin with, um, and maybe you've made some sales, but you're going to be putting grain in the bin that, that is currently unhedged. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I'm probably sitting 
um, with more on hedge than I normally do to, to Jake's point. Um, looking back actually at the chart for December futures, we only had 10 days, 10 or 11 days, including the weekends in there, obviously, but that uh, were above our spring insurance guarantee this year, which made pulling the trigger on grain sales harder than we've ever had because that week that I rallied up, you know, we were all bullish. It was going to the moon, you know, to quote some of the, some of the memes you see out there, it's going to the moon. Well, it went to the moon one day and fell like a rock after it got out of the, out of the gun. But um, to that point, so now, yeah, you have to get aggressive on. So I've put together on my farm, I put together my break even. So I know what a minimum I've got to be at. And so I'm looking for it out if I can do a hedge and do a, you know, um, you know, roll futures out to get some carry in the market. Um, and so I haven't looked to see if we've got much carry here lately, but uh, it's one of the things we definitely have to keep in mind full of as well as if yeah. opportunity. you're dealing with a, a much better carry environment in, in corn and, and a little carry developed in beans this year as well. So it's going to pay, pay you a little bit to hang on to that grain, but the cost to hold on to grain you know, a lot of people don't think about this as, as well. It's an opportunity cost. It costs you roughly five cents a bushel per month to hold on to corn in a bin. Which is more expensive than normal because of interest rates. Interest rates. Right? Yep. Um, 10 cents a month, probably on beans. And you're going to see that reflected in the storage rates that you have at commercial grain elevators as well. That a lot of them are publishing uh, grain policies, currently harvest policies. And I would expect to see storage rates commercially going up two to three cents um, yeah. for that first 60, 90 day window or whatever it is. I mean, it, it's going to be more expensive to hang on to the grain. So just because you have the bin at home doesn't mean you have to use it. It a lot of times doesn't make sense to use it. The market sometimes doesn't pay you to hang on to that grain. I usually hear it's like, uh, oh, that bin paid for itself in year one. What about year two? Did it, <laughs> did it go backwards? Did it get more expensive? Mm-hmm. Right. I, you know, it, every year is different, but uh, that's an interesting one. Now, I just want to put a capper on that. That's great stuff, Jake. So I just want to, before we move on to maybe some some more psychology here, um, remember that your liability, when you start off, think of that as your revenue and think of that as a number you can beat. And, and you can beat that by making a sale above that spring insurance price or an options position that's above that that uh, spring insurance price. Um, And then remember that as good as this policy is, the coverage, at least for price, ends in October. And so um, that liability number is only as good as what the sales that you're making on them. So that's why we're trying to beat them. But if we get past October, there's, there's no cushion for us if we've, if we've missed out on, on higher prices. Um, So with that said, can, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but what are some of the biggest fears you think farmers have in pulling the trigger? I mean, there's there's the FOMO aspect, but is there some other reasons that a farmer would be concerned about pulling the trigger on sales early? You know, my experience probably goes back to, you know, all, and I'm no different. We learned a lot of stuff from our elders, right? So, I got into farming because my grandfather, he never forward contracted one bushel in his entire life because they lived through the, you know, the, the depression and all those eras. So they never would sell anything because they didn't have these tools. So unfortunately some of that runs rubs off on you. So it is maybe the fear, but it, you grew up 
being trained to not sell something you don't have, right? I mean, don't, you know, the old sales part of the thing is don't sell it till it's in the trunk. Well, green marketing, we've got tools now to let us sell it before it's in the trunk, so to speak. So that's probably the biggest one. And other than like we talked about the psychology of, you know, hey, we we don't want to, you know, can we let go of it before we got our hands on it? But the reality is that's probably in my mind, the biggest one is we, you know, unfortunately our, our um, elders probably have uh, maybe ingrained uh, some of that in our back of our minds that hold us back from doing that. Um, I don't know, Jake, if you've got anything additional to that, but that's exactly what I would like say. My grandpa never sold one forward contract in his entire life. And, and it, and it may have served them. It may have served them well, right? It, it did. Yeah. He, he, he did well, but he gained a lot of, uh, he was the beneficiary of a lot of inflation over all of his years. So that didn't hurt him one bit. Yeah, I, I, I agree that the two main things are that fear of selling something you don't have, which is ill-conceived today. Um, you know, it's time we put that one behind us, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, like Ryan said, I've, I've never sat in your chair either, Ken. And it's, it's really easy for folks who haven't sat in that chair to sit here and lecture farmers on what to do. Um, you, you know, we may be more objective, uh, in my opinion, but, uh, if you asked me to kind of watch a barometer go up and down and I had to choose at what point to hit stop and that's how much money I'm going to make this year, that that's a hard decision to make is the yeah. bottom line. Yep. Yeah. Especially after you've made a profitable sale, then the next day it goes up a dime. Yep. You know, doesn't sound like much, but if you did a lot of bushels, a dime adds up to dollars and you know, you got to sell it, forget it and move on. And that's the hardest thing to do as a producer. Um, but not pulling the trigger probably tears your gut more than anything. Like those yeah. sales that I let pass. That, just That's a decision in itself, right? Doing yeah. nothing is a decision. And, and while this year was extremely difficult and the, the window of opportunity was very, very small, that window almost always presents itself. You know, Ryan and I looked at this in our presentation. I think we looked at the last nine years. Uh, now we can say nine out of 10 years, you've had the opportunity to make sales above your spring guaranteed price. Um, 2020 was the one exception and probably COVID had a lot to do with that, but right. Yeah. So that, that does transition us well into a little bit of a margin protection update. So um, obviously we can start making sales for our 24 grain today, but we also have insurance options and I'm actually not even here to say one of them is better than the other because I think there's benefits to both, right? Margin protection may have a, a, a good application. It keeps our upside open that we don't actually have to sell any physical grain and still have a, some price protection and yield protection built in. Um, however, you know, it has a premium associated with it just like an option would, whereas selling grain is free. We just don't have any upside opportunity anymore, right? So there's there's pluses and minus to both of these, but thinking about 24 right now, uh, Jake already mentioned some of the in break-even input costs for 23. For 24, as you mentioned, we do expect them to be down. And one of the elements of the margin protection policy is that it measures input costs. And today, those input costs are relatively low. Very compa attractive. Compared to prior couple yeah. of years. Very attractive relative to the current prices out there. We like 
farmers to think about profitability per acre rather than price per bushel, right? Um, when you look at the ratio between corn prices in 24 and current uh, fertilizer prices, they're the best they've been in a long time. Um, so it's a really good opportunity to, to be locking in both sides of that and to lock in only one side carries more risk. And that's exactly right. So that's what I tell both agents and farmers when I'm standing in front of them talking about margin protection. And I will be the first to admit that margin protection is by far the most complicated thing that we sell. Yes. But if we're trying to drill it down just to something more simple, farmers do recognize that over the next six months before we get to February, where we establish our spring insurance price, we have the risk of prices falling between now and February. We also have the risk, if you haven't purchased inputs, that the inputs will creep higher between now and whenever, you know, whenever those inputs are actually purchased. So um, both of those things today, as Jake has mentioned, if you, if you look at where our current prices are, where inputs currently are, we feel like most farmers should be in a position to make a buck off of what our current revenues and, and costs would be. Um, however, that's based off of $5 corn and nearly $13 beans. And there's no promise of that in February. So that's the number one thing I think of when as I'm thinking of margin protection as being an attractive product is that I can start to lock in prices today. I don't have to give up my up upside. And if I'm wrong, or I wouldn't even say wrong, but if, I, if I'm lucky, prices in February will be higher. And then I can establish a new guarantee based off of my underlying policy that goes with it. And a discounted uh premium exactly. right for that policy you would purchase in yep. February as well. Exactly. So that, that policy is coming with a discount. The margin is because we buy that underlying policy, the two payments offset, but because we're going to buy margin at a higher level than our underlying plan, uh, that offset shouldn't hurt us in most years. It it could. Don't get me wrong, it could, but for the most part, that offset is is just going to be um, kind of in the range of whatever that spread is between our margin level and our and our actual policy, uh, RP policy level. Um, but one other thing, a comparison here, if you're thinking about 95% coverage, you're either going to buy margin or you're going to buy ECO, or maybe there's a private product that'll get you up to 95% as well. But between margin and ECO, if we're just looking at the premiums between those two, say if I'm buying an 80 or 85% policy with ECO or with margin, the premiums in most places aren't too far apart. They're close. And they, that, that for me really puts a big check mark in the margin protection policy. Because if I go out on the board today and I tried to do a, a put option that was for 95% of today's prices, that would cost me almost as much as a margin protection policy does. And when I look at margin versus mar uh, an RP policy with ECO, those premiums being the same, but one of them gives you just two prices, ECO and your uh, harvest price. And then the other one gives you three prices. So we get a, a pre a fall price or a margin price, then our spring price, and then our, our harvest price. So long way of saying, you can buy for a similar premium, three prices instead of two with margin protection. In some areas, the premiums are gonna be a little higher on margin. Some areas it might be a little lower,
but three prices instead of two sounds good to me. Now, Ken, I know you've bought margin protection in the past. You haven't always bought margin. You've you've kind right. of come in and out. Yeah. Um, how do you look at it personally for for twenty four? You know, the, the one that's really got my eye, and it kind of tipped to you had kind of pointed this out to me is soybeans right now. Um, and actually, just yesterday, Fapri from the University of Missouri came out with their projected farm prices. Um, and again, these numbers that they came out with for sure are going to be wrong, but let's just say they're relatively right and more what the price will change. They're saying like this year's average farm price is going to be 1288 was what they're saying. Next year on soybeans, they're saying it's going to be 1294. So regardless what those numbers are, that's a 15% drop in price, uh, the farm price. And our bean acres are going up. They're estimating estimating going from 83.5 up to 87 million acres of beans, um, which is one of the big reasons why we're going to have a pressure on the soybean price. So, you know, with 94, what do we have? 94, maybe it's going to be 95 million. Who knows where the final number on corn acres are going to be. Those acres roll to beans. They're definitely going to put pressure on beans because I don't know if we've got the sustainable fuel piece to really offset the supply, the demand offsetting the supply uh, to not put pressure on that bean price for 24. So early out of the gate, still got plenty of this month to make that decision. But boy, I it definitely is attractive when we see a 1295 or I think is what we're trading today. Yep, 1295 on beans for margin. That compared to a 1194 farm price. And obviously they're not apples to apples on what we're talking, but a 15% price drop off a of 1295 sure feel good to have a 95 trigger on that price versus letting that one walk away. Um, corn, uh, still got to do some digging into it. I do like where we're at with our inputs um, and seeing some news talking about uh, some China doing some stuff on some exports restrictions on urea. And so it's really going to be interesting to see what that does. Cause if that, we're at a low, we're down 50% from last year on your urea price for the input. So if that does move higher, like it did here a couple of years ago, it just moves that trigger higher for, you know, trying to trigger loss on the corn side. So I'm going to be watching it pretty close here in the next few weeks and making the decision at the end of the month. But right now, out of the gate, beans definitely has my attention just because I think I agree that we're going to see some price, a lot of price pressure on beans for 24. I, I agree with that 100%. Um, Ken, you look at the the ratio between new crop soybean prices in 24 and new crop corn prices, that ratio is north of 2.5. It's approaching three. Historically, that ratio has a very, very difficult time being that elevated for a long period of time. So, you know, the projection of switching some corn acreage towards bean acreage next year, I think definitely rings true. Uh, you mentioned the urea news yesterday that broke, China announcing some restrictions, India announcing some purchases. We saw urea prices swing 150 bucks yesterday alone per ton. Ended up the day only up 30 bucks, but there is definite risk in input prices rising. And I, I agree completely that we're going to, you know, the market is telling farmers today to shift some corn acres to bean acreage next year. And we're a long ways off from planting that crop, but we're not a long ways off from fall fertilizer application. A lot of those decisions are going to be being made in the next two months. So I would expect a good shift. And that new crop 24 soybean price is something I would definitely think really hard about protecting. 
Great info, guys. I do want to make sure I, I clarify one quick thing. Can you mention that projected uh, price per bushel for beans for 24? That was 11.94. Is that correct? Uh, no. So the FAPRI's price, according to the report that came out yesterday, they just updated their prices. They dropped uh, for the 23 crop year, 23, 24 crop year down to 12.88 and their 24, 25 projected farm price. So again, that's going to be with, you know, basis taken out average mm-hmm. for the nation. 10, 10.94 is what I'm oh, looking at their okay. document today. Okay. So it's, it's yeah. significant. We've thrown out a few numbers there. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. maybe we were, we were bouncing around, but okay. Yeah. 10.94. 10.94. So a 15% price drop from this crap year to next crap year. So it's, okay. I mean, if they're even close to right, a 15% price drop tells you margin is a, is margin or ECO something, you know, it's going to depend on what ECO gives us for a spring price next uh, February. Um, Twelve ninety five isn't going to be here to stay if this if they're even mm-hmm. partially right, right? Okay, all right. So that's good. So just a few uh, items then to wrap up margin protection. So we we have decent prices right now. Inputs are fairly low, and so what that equals for most farmers today is positive margins. Right? We have a we have a profitable moment in time is what the the phrase I've been using at our as our update meetings. And uh, you have an opportunity to lock in that this profitable moment through margin protection. And so that would be my number one sales pitch is that you get to lock in this profitable moment, you get three prices instead of two. And because those input costs are relatively low, them going lower and hurting us and hurting our chances for a claim payment are fairly minimal. And we, we could go a little lower, but our... our um, opportunities are probably more or less that input prices will go higher from here. And that would actually assist in any claim payments for margin protection. So um, wrapping up here, think hard and long about using those guaranteed bushels that you get through your crop insurance policy to start making sales earlier rather than later. Um, Thinking about this fall in particular, don't forget that once we get past October, there's no more price protection under your RP policy. Grain in the bin can sit there until corn goes to 350, and there's there's no protection under the crop insurance policy for that. Um, thinking about 24, we have margin protection opportunities here for the next several weeks until we get to the 30th of September. And so talk to your agent about this. I think it would be um, healthy to have a conversation about margin protection for no other reason than just to recognize the risk that you have between now and February. I'll give you, Ken, and you, Jake, one more shot to wrap up or say anything else that you feel is important before we go here, but uh, we're just about done. I'll let uh, I'll let you go first, Jake. Yeah, not much to add to that, honestly. Um, just try to keep your emotions in check. Uh, you know, what's done is done. You can't dwell on the past here. I'm guessing a majority of the farmers that listen to this are probably in the same boat heading into this fall, undersold relative to what they would like to be. Um, just don't make the same mistake twice. Fair enough. Ken? Yeah. Um, just want to add and maybe more from a crop insurance standpoint, you know, as we're heading into harvest, definitely be safe um, farmers out there, but also don't forget to make sure you keep your crop agents in the loop. If you've got anything that you're not going to be harvesting, because with revenue losses out there, 
if something you're chopping or whatever, we've got to make sure that we're getting those things appraised because the last thing we want to do is not be able to pay on a field because it wasn't uh, it wasn't appraised. Uh, so definitely don't let that you know don't let that impact any losses you have for your 23 crop. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for listening to the FMH Insurecast today. If you have not already, be sure to subscribe and tune in to the next FMH Insurecast. Thank you very much. You've been listening to FMH Insurecast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.